What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we talk about recognizing quality fishing spots, a sneaky way to sink a bass boat, and we wrap up with a great reason to avoid swimming in Lake St. Clair. Hope you guys enjoy the show. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long-lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. This is a record-breaking episode because we are doing this record-breakingly early. It's 4.30 a.m. <laughs> here in Arizona, and uh, we're not up to fish. We're up to talk fishing, so um, we'll get this thing knocked out. Hopefully edited and out to you guys on this Tuesday morning, and we still have our entire day ahead of us. Um, what uh, what do you guys have on the slate today, Nick? You look like you're ready to start. Give it to me. Well, you know, they say those who uh, can't teach and those who can do. I think those who wake up early to record a podcast about fishing do so because they can't fish. And so I think that holds true here. <laughs> Although Josh is a pretty accomplished fisherman. And, and Rob was in a different millennium, but so funny, not a whole lot's going on over here, man. I'm noticing that, uh, my garage, my super fancy insulated garage really does a nice job of holding the heat in all night because it's probably like 81 degrees outside and it is not 81 degrees inside. So I'm enjoying this kind of like sauna effect, but I didn't have anything, you know, nothing broke down on me this week. I had a very strangely for me successful trip in the old family pontoon boat to our little local pond saguaro on friday night and uh you know it reminded me i don't think there's anywhere on earth that's as as pleasant and enjoyable as being on the water as the sun sets dude, all the, the way best. up until it goes dark dude we stayed until like you know it was pitch black and then it was just a bunch of knuckleheads and ourselves at the ramp, you know, as a bunch of the wakeboarding and surfboating crew ramp rush hour in the dark. And that's always pretty enjoyable. But man, we had such a nice time, dude. Just took a little, you know, Papa John's pizza and a cooler full of drinks and everyone swam and had a good time. And the, uh, the two-year-old who Rob's mom has informed me is no longer an infant. Apparently he's classified as a toddler now. <laughs> has has been a has been a little bit of a handful even by his standards and it's so cool seeing him out there man because he just he just gets in his little little groove and he is much more enjoyable to be around he's much nicer he pulls his sister hair his sister's hair a lot less and uh you know we just we had a nice time man it was cool we picked our kids up like from school and just went boom straight to the lake nice and so you know, the smiles all around. It's cool. I didn't tell my older two that uh, we were doing that. Well, I didn't tell the two-year-old either, but it wasn't the same level of recognition, of course. But when I picked him up from school, you know, it's like, what are we doing? Uh, all the drama of like them being hungry and tired and angry from the day. And it's like, we're going to the lake. And then everyone was They happy. were happy, so, huh? Oh, yeah. So 
I think I need to live on a lake is all that's telling me. It'd be sweet to be able to do that like four days a week or five days a week. Yeah, dude, why not just do that a couple more times this summer though, right? That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, so it was, man. It was nice. And uh, uh, the bilge pump, the uh, this is, we're going on like, I don't even know, day 411 in the captain's log on the bilge pump. But part came in and uh got it all wired up and just need to finish putting it all back together but i think my boat will be ready to make the attempt to catch some fish here in the next week and that is also extremely exciting i'm I'm happy about that you know it's been taken apart so long that i hope i remember how to put it all back together that's the scary thing when you sit on a project for that long and you've got like just a pile of screws <laughs> you're like yeah that one went there it's <laughs> a good point dude yeah yeah so you'll have a baggie, you take pictures you'll have a baggie of extra screws when you're done <laughs> well and it's weight reduction right you know i'm right. trying to get out that last half a mile an hour for all my pleasant pleasure fishing you know nice yeah but i don't think all the uh professional boat mechanics do it that way but you know i'm getting what i paid for on this <clears throat> and i didn't pay much so Right on. That's cool. It sounds like an awesome trip in the pontoon, dude. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you're ready to do some serious fishing as well. Um, we've had these lakes out here have had so much rain. It's been a very, it's been a phenomenal summer fishing locally. I haven't been a part of it, but just, just from all of our buddies who've experienced the summer out here, it's been one of the best summers in in recent years on pretty much all of the lakes. And uh, this this crazy rain we've had is mix it's mixed things up a little bit. There's uh, the the opportunities are still there. It's just not quite as widespread. You can't just drop your boat into any of the lakes right now and go smash them. But if you do it at the right lake at the right time, you will. So yeah, um, yeah. saw a little thirty pound bag action came out of Saguaro. Yeah, and that's like you know Saguaro. It's been even Saguaro the action's been cut in half because uh, because of that that storm it completely blew out the river so um you know half of the fishable water out there is gone for a little bit for you know a couple weeks but it'll 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 clear back up and get back to normal Uh, yeah that was quite a storm it uh i mean i I can't imagine how much rain it dumped in a short period of time but it was a bunch so i want to be there someday and watch it when those just rushing waterfalls are coming over the lit, the edge of those cliffs and falling. Yep. It's got to be Seriously. pretty scary and it pretty, is pretty amazing. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be close to the wall when that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> the mm. amount of like logs that it deposits into the lake is mind blowing. You yeah. know, it's dude, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's scary to watch this water. Uh, there's been some horrible flooding in Tennessee this week and, um you know even even in certain little towns here in arizona from these monsoons like there's some video nick sent a video of a wash going to bartlett to us uh just looking at that that water um it is it's it's super scary but but watching it go down through the cliffs are for the listeners that haven't fished the lakes in arizona i mean honestly we're biased but some of them are pretty breathtaking you know the uh the cliffs and canyons that these lakes are carved into uh, are pretty unbelievable, a couple of them. And uh, when you see the water coming down, you know, it, it, and just the, just the overall dramaticness of it, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. So I hear you, man. Yeah, we just, we just flew in from Minnesota on, uh, on Sunday, uh, my wife and my granddaughter and I, and she's looking out the window 
as we're landing at uh, Mesa Gateway and she can see it was Apache and Canyon and Saguaro. She's like, Grandma, there's the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I mean, not, not very wrong. far off. Right. Yeah. Right. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a miniature um, Grand Canyon. Dude, when don't I was, make rocks like that everywhere. Go ahead, nope. Nick. Yeah. Well, and just going back to um, remember that Emerald Mile book that I couldn't shut up about for a long time with the, the whole story of the Grand Canyon and the fastest trip down it um, from Lee's Ferries to Vegas Wash and everything. There was a, a couple of chapters dedicated to that phenomenon. They call it a debris flow. And what makes canyons like what you're talking about, Rob, and the Grand Canyon is we have such crazy geology here and such erosive soils mixed in with like really hard millions and millions and millions of year old rocks. And so when we get those deluges like that, it talks about one in like the 60s. And it was it was like, sadly, probably a similar storm to what Tennessee is having. It was like double digit inches of rain falling in like half a day's time, just like a deluge. Dude, it like completely wiped out a, a, a section of that part of the river and the Colorado River, the Grand Canyon. It just like completely changed it, dude. Boulders the size of houses were moving at 20 miles an hour. That's like, crazy. How scary in the sound of that. Oh, like, I mean, that has yeah, to in be the Grand just... Canyon, dude. And you're stuck down in the canyon like that. And so it took all that water that flows anywhere from like, you know, 5,000 cubic feet per second up to like 100,000. And it just like made a pinch point, dude. It took it from a, a football field in width to like two first downs in width in the in 30 minutes <laughs> so crazy i almost i had a real close encounter um with my brother at lee's ferry one time and nearly drowned and water came over my waders and i sucked a bunch in and luckily he he saved me and from that point forward dude i'm just not very comfortable around like fast moving water because it just it does not care man it just wants to kill you if you are at odds with it it doesn't care it's strong and relentless and did you yeah, just man. step too deep and get water in your waders? Is that what happened? I slipped. In current? Right? Yeah, in current, I slipped. And I was up high, I had chest waders on, but I was like above my waist when I went down. And it was wow. like, and it was cold. It was on, uh, it was a couple days after our birthday, which is after Christmas. And I just remember like cold, right? Like just instantly like waders filled up cold. And, and then I took a big breath of water and I was sliding down and just one of those lucky things where like he was downstream from me and happened to look up because he couldn't hear anything because of how loud the, the running water was. And he just saw that I was no longer on my feet and, and going down. And dude, my brother's a wee little man. I'm like five inches taller than him and a whole 25 pounds heavier than him because we're both made like little blades of grass. But he just picked me right up and got me back on my feet. And I kind of dog paddled back to the bank, which was pretty far. And did I like spit up a bunch of water? It was, it was unpleasant. Jeez, man. That, that place is dangerous, man. A lot of people have drowned in that exact situation that you're talking about. You're pretty lucky. I was, yeah, thank you. I was lucky. And I was just an wow. idiot. You know, I was, I was doing something that I wasn't comfortable with and I knew better and got lucky. Right. That's why you don't, why you don't take risks that you don't feel like you can, you know, safely get out of wow yeah no kidding man this is the <laughs> right moment on. where if i had a soundboard i'd play like a sad flute sound because i just took us down like 10 notches so <laughs> woo! right on well hey you made it uh what uh what's up your way rob uh, not a whole lot um uh, 
I did. I took a listener on a guide trip, which was really cool. Oh yeah, that's cool, dude. Tell us about yeah, that a little bit. It was um, Mark and Caitlin from upstate New York. Uh, they listen to all the podcasts, and um, he's a hardcore fisherman. They were out here on their uh, honeymoon, which was really cool. And it was Mark's birthday on the day that we we went fishing. So, <laughs> and he caught Hell an yeah. absolute absolute monster. That fish was giant. Uh, it's awesome. Great yeah. job, man. So, to, to all of you. That's cool. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. We had a good time. They're super cool people. So enjoyed their, uh, enjoyed being, you know, fishing with them. So it was fun. Uh, and then my wife and granddaughter and I went to Minnesota. We're kind of on a quest for, uh, looking for a lake home up there, which is, um, not easy. There's <laughs> what's making it not easy. Is the real estate market nuts or is it oh, just, it's, it's completely nuts. It's my typical thing where I'm always a couple years late, you know, and, uh, there's some gorgeous stuff up there, but I mean, it needs to be a primary home if that's the case as much as they want for them. So mm. can but, you buy something for like less than two fifty, or is that not even like you can, but you don't get much, um, you know, tiny, tiny house or like a bad lot. Um, well, most of the cheaper ones are like parts of resorts. So, so you have a 12 acre common area and then you've got 10, 10 feet around your little deal and (laughs) two parking spots and not relaxing. I mean, it's just not fun, but it's not the relaxing spot you want. Right. Correct. Correct. So, so we're looking, we'll see whatever it's, uh, I know you got some ties up to that part of the country, but when I go off on tangents and daydream about like all the places I wish I lived besides right here, um, I just am drawn to the South, dude. The South is so blessed with so many sick lakes and they just have private property on all their lakes, which is so foreign to us in the West, man, God bless the South from that regard. I have a brother-in-law who lives on Lake Jordan and Alabama and it's just like, man, I was just looking the other day for like 250 grand. You can get a very nice house with like two legit docks with a like a boat elevator and everything. Jeez, is man. Tight. Still dude, 250 grand? Dude, 250, dude, 250 grand in Phoenix might buy you like a wall tent where like you have transvestites walking around at night. So who knows, man? That's God bless them. Yeah, well used wall tent for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if those walls could talk. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so it was interesting though that the um, the day we got there was like ninety one degrees, and you would think that would just be swampy, but it was pretty comfortable. And then uh, the day we left, it was in the seventies and just beautiful weather. So yeah, who well, knows? I hope, you, I hope you find something, man, because I'm going to come mooch off of you more than I oh, do. Yeah, dude, yeah. he knows. He's 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 got us in mind, man. He knows we're going to. I come do up because. Bug him. That's what's ixnaying all these, a lot of these spots is the lack of parking. I need room for uh, all the guys. So (laughs) that's cool, man. Well, I hope you can find a good spot and uh, it's cool. You got up there to check it out, man. You know, it's a, I know you'll find the right spot eventually. So, and and I know you don't rush into things, but you'll, you'll snatch it when you do. Yeah. That's cool. What's Um, up with you, Josh? Catch us up. Yeah. For me, it's been uh, the slowest week in a while, man. You know, really, just catching up after being out of town for so long. I've got two more a week, another almost two weeks before I have to hit the road for uh, the next tournament. So um, just been getting, getting caught up with a lot of stuff. I smoked a uh, pulled pork the other day, man. So, uh, you know, just, I mean, when you can, you know, you got a slow week when you smoke a pulled pork <laughs> on a weekday. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. That's, 
you smoked a pulled pork. Yeah, so sorry. Okay, dude, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, it is 4.30 in the morning. Right. Yeah, what sorry. Kind, what cut of meat I was smoked this? Was a, this pork, a, a pork butt. Yeah, okay. a, pork, yeah. a pork butt and a shoulder are the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah, no kidding on that. <laughs> I love it. How did it turn out, man? Yeah, How did it turn out? It was it was good. Yeah, every I've done this is like maybe the tenth one I've done, oh. and every single one gets a little bit better. Like nice. it, it was brutal at first, you know. The whole thing <laughs> with it, it's so easy to do, right? I've got you know I've got a Green Mountain Grills wood wood pellet grill, and uh, you could do it on on charcoal, but a pellet grill is probably the easiest way to do it. And it's one of those things where there's a little bit of prep involved. But really, dude, just like giving it time is the whole key. Like, you know, you get that thing up to like, it takes all day to get to 190 degrees. <laughs> but if you can let it get to 200 degrees and then be patient and also let it rest for an hour or two after it's there, it's there the difference is, is huge from okay. 190, right? Like instead of being tough and not pulling apart and falling off the bone, it's, it's, it's way better if you just if you give it that extra few hours so like i've learned to like to just give it that extra little time and uh, they're getting better every time so the beauty of that though is you it's literally there's so much meat you can you've got it all week and um our buddy dave who listens all the time he's really smart he does two at once so he's gonna go through the effort of, of doing one he just smokes two and then he vacuum seals like three quarters of the meat and he's got He's good for a couple months, man. So it's a really good idea. I need to do yeah. that next time. What's the prep? I mean, do you do like a dry rub on it or like, are you a sauce guy? What do you like? Yeah, you know, both, dude. I put, this time I put some, uh, actually I rubbed it down with mustard and then nice. a dry rub over that. And um, yeah, I mean, like super simple, dude. That's literally, that's it, man. You leave it, you, you do that the night before and let it kind of soak in overnight in the fridge uh, and then just throw it on the grill the next morning. You know, you cook it half half of the way, pretty much unwrapped to let the smoke get in, and then you wrap it about halfway through and let it let it go for another few hours. But I mean, nice. super easy. And uh, you know that the grill's got Wi-Fi and an app, so you can literally. I mean, you don't have to babysit it, dude. It's just there, and you're out doing your stuff, and you know what temp the meat is, and you know what temp your grill is through your phone all day long, and. Um, you know, you just pull it off when it's ready, dude. It's pretty awesome. awesome. Yep. I'm laughing because I have uh, my kids found this little kids movie on Netflix. And it's it's one of those movies that's designed for kids. But so, oh, Josh, you'll appreciate this. It's the guy from Eastbound and Down. What's his name? Uh, oh, Danny uh, McBride. Danny McBride is the dad in this kids movie. And anyone who knows Danny McBride he's knows he's bringing fire right out of the gate. Oh, man. It's called Mitchell's versus the Machines. And it's like a little kids movie about the apocalypse of like, their version of Apple or Facebook is called Pal Labs and they release a robot that's supposed to like make life easier, but instantly like they revolt and start taking over. Nice. And this like dorky family are the only ones that survive the capture of all the people and it's their job to save the world. And there's a scene where they're in a mall because they're trying to upload the kill code and like all the appliances have the Pal Labs chip in them. So they're able to like snap to life and try and stop them. And all I can think of now is your Green Mountain Grill with its Wi-Fi capabilities, like one day, like not allowing you to to make food for yourself because it's deemed human. Dude, are- you turned a man, you took that to another level. That's hilarious. 4.30, I'm sorry. All right, let's that's, talk about fishing. That's all the kids. <laughs> that's all the kids movies for you, man, driving you crazy. It's the same thing with me, man. But a grill uh, having but, Wi-Fi is pretty. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's awesome, but it's hilarious. Yeah, no doubt uh yeah dude so 
the one other thing I've been doing a lot too is just kind of retightening everything on my boat. Like it's amazing how loose everything on every little nut and bolt and screw uh, on your boat can get when you're, when you're traveling down the road so much, but also on the water. And I'll tell you one thing I did this week that if we have any listeners that fish rough water, check your rub rail on your boat. Doesn't matter what boat you have, what brand you have when you're running a lot of rough water, um, just peel back that, that rub rail, and uh, make sure your screws are tightened all the way in because it's so easy for them to come out, especially around the trolling motor. And if they, if they start to come out, they could strip, they could break, and then you could run into much bigger problems down the road. And uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting ready to fish St. Clair and Erie. So what I did was I took, I took every rub rail or every screw out along the entire rub rail of my boat, uh, put Loctite on all of them, and put them back in. So oh. hopefully that's going to keep them from coming out over this next month. Go ahead, Rob. There's a, there's a video on YouTube that I was watching a guy in an older Triton, I believe it was. I mean, the brand of the boat doesn't matter, but um, I believe they were fishing St. Clair and the guy couldn't figure out how all the water was getting in his boat, but it was from the top cap and the bottom cap separating in the front. And as the boat would go down in the wave, oh. it would scoop up the water <laughs> and it, it eventually sunk the boat. Not sunk, oh. but to where they obviously couldn't go anywhere. That's, I mean, dude, and that's something that can cause huge problems. So they were fortunate enough to be close to one of the buoys. I mean, it's a scary, it's a scary like uh, video and it's really cool that this guy put this out there just to, uh, for that exact same reason you're talking about the, the rub rail, make sure you maintain that and keep that tight. Cause these guys easily could have uh, died of hypothermia, wow. drown, whatever, you know, so it was, they have it on GoPro, like as they're taking the water and can't figure out why the, they're doing it. Or what? I think a lot of it was on the guy's cell phone. Um, for some reason he was able to keep his cell phone dry. He had like one little bit of battery left, was able to call the coast guard and uh. Uh, they came out and saved him, but it was, uh, it's, I'm sure you can Google that video, but it's definitely worth a watch if you if you fish big water. The guy's got a bunch of good points on there and to be safe, you know. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, right on. That's a good one, dude. I'll have you send that to me. I'll I'll look. For yeah, it. I'll try to find it. Right on. So Sometimes. Yeah, go ahead. That back. Sorry, dude. Yeah, it's kind of like chasing a snake, trying to, or like pushing a rope, trying to get that back in the little groove of the the channel that the rub rail goes in. So you just do a little bit at a time. Is that kind of your approach to it? Yeah. It's more yeah, the screws than anything. My yeah, Well, the screws are the key. Yeah. The screws are the key, but th yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. But Nick, you're just talking about how much of a pain it is to, when you take that rub rail off to get it back in. Mm -hmm. So just do a section at a time, essentially, as you just look sure. along. Uh -huh. Yep. Yep. But how does, um, Go ahead, Rob. Do I sound all right? My internet's saying it's unstable. You... Yeah, you sound okay. good. You're not <laughs> nice. cutting up at all. All right. We're all unstable. Like... Yeah, unstable is a pretty general term. Yeah. Right on. Well, that's cool. Um, one other thing that I got to do this week, which is rare, um, is sit down and watch live for like an entire event. I didn't sit and watch 20 hours of this, <clears> but um, the big five – title event was going on at the Mississippi river. I had some buddies fishing and um, it was a body of water that I fished a bunch. So it was just interesting to kind of watch it all unfold as a spectator. And um, there were a, a few cool storylines and things that I picked up on that I wanted to talk about with you guys. Um, the, 
The first one, of course, was the winner, Jimmy Washam. And we'll dive deeper into his actual pattern because I thought it was pretty interesting in a little bit. But first off, a shout out to him. He's a younger guy. And uh, this was clearly, I mean, he's clearly a great fisherman. And this was the break that, uh, the big break that every fisherman needs, man. So pretty unbelievable. He looked like an awesome, humble young guy. Um, So props to him. Uh, one thing I thought was cool was Skeet Reese and Jimmy Reese both made the top 10. Um, it's been a heck of a comeback year for Skeet. He, he had his last couple of years weren't Skeet Reese-esque, you know, uh, still would have been fair for any fisherman, but not Skeet. And um, man, this year he's been in the top 10 almost every tournament. It seems he's had a heck of a year. And um, now that, um, He's fishing the big five as well as the Bass Pro Tour. He's fishing the same tour as brother Jimmy. So this is probably – they probably were in top tens all the time back in the day, right, Rob? But but oh, not anymore West. together. Yeah, yeah, out west for sure. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy definitely dominated out here, and obviously Skeet did too. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty cool to see that, the two brothers, and they're out golfing, and it's <laughs> – Jimmy had I quite mean, a for- week – Jimmy had quite a week. I guess he beat uh, uh, Bobby Lane and, and Skeet on the golf course. And, nice. and then he went out on the water and darn near beat both of them out there. So pretty cool. That's very cool, man. Yeah. I guess he's quite the golfer, man. I've played with Bobby. Bobby saw it also, but yeah. um, that's pretty cool. So that was awesome. Uh, speaking of Bobby, he finished second. And if you look at Bobby's track record of finishing second, it's unbelievable, dude. Like he's yes. had his wins. And he's he's an unbelievable fisherman. The amount of second places that Bobby has, especially in champ, I think he's got like two seconds in classics, um, tons of regular season events in second. Like this year alone, he might have three. And um, here's another one. So hey, man, he still won fifty grand. Had a great event. And uh, last year, I don't know if you guys remember the tournament we had there. In it was in I think late July. But um, Bobby fished this tournament in the same area I fished last time. And I talked about how I was catching a lot of smallmouth flipping, which was kind of weird. And uh, Bobby, just watching Bobby, it was the same thing this week. He, he had mixed it up and done some different stuff. But he, he did a lot of flipping. And, uh, dude, it was a flip of a coin, whether it was a largemouth or smallmouth, that would come flying in the boat. Wow. Yeah, that, that place is pretty cool. I, I've heard guys talking about how it's not fishing as good as it should be. Do you agree with that, Josh? Yeah, and you could tell the weights were absolutely brutal at the beginning of the tournament. The water had mm-hmm. dropped a lot. And anytime you're fishing a river, falling water, once it gets past a certain point, is brutal. Um, and then the water, I think, turned around and guys just got more dialed through the week. And it looked like actually pretty decent fishing at the end of the week. But, yeah, when I first started going there, dude, it was ridiculous. Like – in 2013, the first time I went, it was nothing to catch 25 or, or 40, 50 keepers a day. And now it's it's much more of a grind. I mean, it gets it gets hammered. And this part of the, this stretch of the Mississippi River is uh, in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Um, pool seven, eight, and nine. I think pool nine is in a part of Iowa. But um, you know, there's some pools above and below that don't get hammered as hard. But um, this is kind of the most notorious stretch of that upper Mississippi. And, I mean, it gets hammered, and the fishermen up there are good, dude. We talked about it before um, on a a previous episode, but, like, uh, the fishing pressure is so intense up there. Most of the stud locals have flat-bottom john boats, 
and practice and those things for a couple of reasons. One, to be able to get into areas, but another, just so no one can see them fishing and exposing stuff that they're fishing. So it's very intense up there. Go ahead, Rob. How stressful is that place to run? I mean, we, we you think of a lot of the bodies of water that you guys fish uh, throughout the country. I mean, that one is just as hardcore as it gets. I mean, you have rock wing dams, you have sand you can get stuck in, and every tournament, guys that are have probably fished there fifteen times get stuck. I yeah, mean, it's just it just like yeah. You, pretty much have to run everywhere. If you don't run, you're going to get stuck. So, and then you're really stuck when you do get stuck. So it just, <laughs> it looks like a, looks like a very stressful place to navigate. You're right, dude. And it changes every year. Like, uh, because yeah, just like what Nick was talking about earlier with the Grand Canyon, you get one crazy flood and it's just different than it was before. So you knew that sandbar before, but that sandbar will change the next year. So it is man. Like it, and certain parts are easier than others. But last year I hit a wing dam. I did. I was uh, running out of an area. And um, luckily it only got the skeg, but it took a nice shark bite out of my skeg. And I knew about the wing dam too, dude. It just, sometimes you just forget, right? Like you just start thinking about something else. And as soon as I hit it on pad, I, I was pissed because I was like, damn, I knew about that thing and I still hit it. But uh, yeah, it's an early one to, to learn. And um, I don't know. I mean, even if someone takes you out and shows you how to get around one year, the next year it's going to be different. So well, right. I've told, I've told the story before I fished with a the gentleman there um, that had fished his entire life and his skag was gone too. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy. dude. Yeah. It's a gnarly place. Like you could live in Arizona and have brand new paint on your skag for, you could have a 10 year old boat and the skag's perfect. As long as you stay in central Arizona, you definitely could do that. Yeah. 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 The Havasu and the Colorado river is a little bit different, but, yeah. um, but even that's more forgiving because there's not that much rock, but, uh-huh. um, it's a cool place. And speaking of hitting things. So, so this pattern or this spot that the winner eventually found, he, you know, his story, it would be much more detailed. He could tell it much better from just, but from a spectator's perspective and what I saw and a little bit that I heard in his interviews and stuff talking about it um, was pretty interesting. So there was, and I, I've never fished this spot right there. This may be a local community hall, you know, for, for the locals that know the river real well. But what's interesting is in, I probably fished four or five events there. And I don't remember this standing out, this spot ever standing out before, but there, there was a deep, dredge hole i don't know if it was an old pond or something like that but it's a very shallow river and there was a deep dredge hole that was like 20 feet deep you know coming in or out of a backwater towards the main river it was right off the main river um right in front of this dredge hole was a sunken dam and apparently what i what i believe was jimmy was going back to fish this dredge hole and he hit the dam while he was idling with his motor and um he didn't know it was there until he hit it and then he hit it and said damn there's damn there's a dam Uh, (laughs) (laughs) sir damn there's something that hit that was rock so he goes back in there fishes the dredge hole i in practice i believe and uh, maybe gets a bite or two somewhat near close to the actual dam itself but doesn't think a ton of it just kind of puts it in his back pocket goes out and survives the elimination round 
does you know does well doing whatever else he's doing uh fishing other parts of the river gets into the knockout round which is basically the semifinals fishes other parts of the river and goes down down to that spot to fish the dredge hole again in the knockout round and catches two big ones off that rock dam which is submerged and that kind of clued him in that 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 dam was special but still he had only caught two there he caught most of his fish in the tournament and other places now he's in the final day and there's only 10 guys on the water but it's a weekend it's and there's a, like we talked talked about earlier it's a very heavily pressured body of water for a northern fishery and um it's a long way from takeoff where he's going and he's sitting there trying to figure out okay should i should i stay up close to takeoff in the morning catch some of the fish that have been easy to catch in the morning and get the ball rolling because he's like i don't know if that spot is is as via is super viable i caught a couple big ones there might be a spot i can go to later and call you know a big fish or two catch a big fish or two but I don't know if I should start there. And he gets to thinking, he's like, man, with all the boats on the water, there could be a local, it could be a local honey hole. He just doesn't know it. And um, someone may go sit on it all day and I'm, he may not get on it. So he, he decides to run all the way down there and start there. And as he gets down there, there's a local fishing up to it, about to cast to it. Wow. And the local is super cool. He says, Oh, Hey man. Yeah. I, I, you know, I know you're in the top 10. Um, you can have it. So he lets him have it. But if he wouldn't have started there, this guy would have pulled in there and maybe caught nothing, maybe not fish it the same way, or maybe he was going to fish it just right and catch most of the active fish and big fish that, that were set up on it. So um, what a decision and dude, the, it's 50, 50, like you, that's the right decision sometimes and the wrong decision sometimes, but he pulls up to this thing and sits on it all day and catches 18 pounds, which is a monster bag for that body of water, especially this time of year after it's received that much pressure. Uh, I mean, Bobby caught a big enough bag to win, but this bag was, I mean, he just, this just dude just beat everybody. But, um, for dude, the stars just lined up for him, man. And, and he capitalized in every single way possible. But like for him to hit that thing with his lower unit and for him to be smart enough to realize that he needed to actually fish it, like, dude, there's been, and we'll talk about it, but like uh, sometimes I've been hit in the face by winning fish and just completely ignored them. <laughs> and that's one of the hardest things in, in fishing in general and tournament fishing is to recognize what's special and what's not special because there's so much out there. There's so many times I've glazed over either winning fish or, or fish that you could have a great tournament on and just thought, ah, it was just one bite or, Oh, it wasn't that special. And then after the fact, you find out that someone absolutely wrecked them on that spot. Right. So he recognized it. And then, you know, for it, for him to get there right before that dude, there was even a fish on. He had hooked on a spinning rod. He was throwing a uh, Nico rig with light line on a spinning rod on this little pond dam. And uh, he had his biggest fish of the last day wrap him up um, down in some type of log jam, rock jam, whatever the heck it was. And that fish was buried up for over a minute. And like, I was like, this thing's done. You know, it's line, it, it, this fish is never coming out. And the fish swims out and he lands it. 
So things <laughs> were going his way that Oh, day. yeah. Wow. Man. Yeah. I was going to interject. I mean, there are two things came to mind. Like one, just like when you win, especially in a, an event like that, which is such a, a big deal in, a, in the ones you want to win. It's just like, man, things go your way, right? Like something, a few things just add up to make it happen. And it's like following your intuition, getting there right as that guy is, you know, and then peacefully working out a resolution where you get to fish it. Like, that's cool. Like, it's just, it's, it's heartwarming. Like you feel happy for people when that's how it works. And it sounds like you touched on this in the beginning. He's just a super cool dude. I read he's a, I think he's a sheriff's deputy or he's in law enforcement. I can't remember specifically what it is. So yep. pretty cool. And then also pretty cool is I think the local that was fishing was also in law enforcement. So it's kind of oh, no like way. A, a little serendipity there that it all worked out and, and came to be, but man, for every one time that that happens, there's countless times where like all those pieces of the puzzle didn't come together yeah. for you. And, you and that's didn't. tournament fishing. There's yeah, yeah. every tournament you, you got a hundred dudes and there can only be one winner, but yeah, that's, that's what it looks like when it comes together for the, to the tune of 200 grand, dude. Yeah. Uh, you're, yeah, you're totally right. It is like, it's just a, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of art when it comes together. Yeah, and magical. it was for him. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like I was, it made me think about like all the times that, that I've had like just signs being dropped on me and like, you know, there's this happens all the time. You see a blip on your graph and you're like, Ooh, that's interesting, but I want to go fish this grass over here instead, <laughs> you know? And then, but dude, like sometimes investigating when you investigate those surprise things that you don't expect to see on the water. Um, you know, I see it a lot of times it's with, uh, with like, uh, maybe signs of bait fish and birds and stuff like that. Right. And it's like, you got your heart set on fishing, going down <laughs> there and fishing the docks on the South end of the lake. And as you're driving down there, you see these birds diving and stuff. And it's like, no, I want to fish these docks, but you do. Yeah. Sometimes you got to take advantage when you, when you see stuff like that, you know, the one time I could really remember this actually working out was uh table rock. Like, in 2017 i fished an open at table rock and um similar deal where like the fish are trying to tell me over and over fish here <laughs> fish here fish here i'm fishing but i'm and i'm not listening i'm fishing uh in ants creek which is up the james river and i had found some decent fish some good fish in the back of this thing in practice and it's a cold weather tournament i mean the water is like in the in the 40s it's we've had some of the coldest weather um that I had experienced fishing in the Ozarks ever. It's like late February, early March. It's a, it's a jerk bait thing and a uh, small swim bait thing. And every day as I'm driving back into here and practice, the first day of the tournament, the second morning of the tournament, I drive by one little section of the lake that just has so many birds, dude. And it's a section of the lake I've never fished and Table Rock, it all looks the same. But dude, there's like a half mile section where there are millions of, of seagulls like the best type of birds that you could see too right and um every day i kind of like thought about it but i gotta get back <laughs> to ants creek dude ants creek is the creek where it goes down and i had those big fish in practice and it's like the second morning of the tournament and i'm buried in the middle of the pack there were 200 boats in the tournament and i'm in like 90th after the first day and the second morning i just get off to a bad start i'm like dude why don't i just go where all those damn birds are at 
And uh, <laughs> I go over there and, and have the next two days or the best two days of fishing I've ever had in my life in the Ozarks and end up finishing second in the tournament. I missed winning by a pound. And uh, those fish were trying to tell me, dude, you know, and I, if I would have been smart enough and, and recognized it the day before, I would have won by five pounds. It was just, yeah. uh, but, but sometimes it's so easy to get locked in and it would have been so easy for him to just not cast to that pond dam, right? He wanted to go back and fish that 20 foot hole. He didn't have to go back and, and fish that where he had hit his lower unit, but he just did dude. And it just worked yeah. out. What's cool though, is he had enough fish the first two days to survive. And I mean, that part of it is probably more key than anything. Cause let's say that was his only, only deal. And he starts there. He probably would have wore it out in a day or two, you know, that's a good point. You can't overlook especially that, with that too. Especially with that format. I mean, in that format, if you have a little money spot that you can go and save for that many days and all of a sudden roll up and whack them. I mean, that's, that's how you win a, a, tournament where everyone's at zero the last you're day, totally you know? right that zeroing the weights man you got to have something fresh at the end yeah that's a good point man makes you wonder if bobby and uh was it zach burge got third i believe yeah yeah mm-hmm. they both yep. they both weighed winning bags for that body of water seriously and, you know were they fishing the same stuff all four days is it right was it yeah, four days? Uh, they did fish three four days. Yeah, four. Uh huh. Yeah, so, two days in the elimination. Then yeah, it'd be interesting to know what their stories were on their locations. So no kidding. Yeah, seriously, dude. I mean, if you're Bobby, you probably think you got a damn good shot with oh, heck sixteen yeah. and change. No one had even caught that all week. All week. You know, the right. biggest bag was fifteen until the final day. Crazy. <laughs> Have you guys ever had that happen though? Like where you where you maybe didn't hit something, but like you stumble and I don't want to say stumble cause you didn't stumble into it, but like the, you either fished right by some spe- a special spot or had a special spot just come to you like that. Most of the fish I've ever found I've stumbled onto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess me too, dude. That's hilarious. Uh, you guys are too humble. Hmm. I have you know, just little random things. Nothing as amazing as like a flock of seagulls on Table Rock Lake in 2017. That story is pretty awesome, and mine's not as awesome as that. No, it's exciting. I just want you know, like little random things. I've been you know fishing just our little stuff around here for so long that you kind of just get on autopilot and you fish like the same spots because it's like those are just like where you go. Like you, you fish here, you fish there, you fish there. Okay. That was your four hours and you go home. Oh yeah. Yep. And on Canyon, a couple of times I would just, you know, spend so many trips catching nothing, not being near anything, just feeling like I might as well just be like listening to, you know, hip hop music as I go by on a surfboard. Cause I don't know what I'm doing so bad. And two different times, just like little random subtle things like that lake doesn't have very many flats and there's you know one part of the lake that there is a flat and i just saw like a different contour line on the the gp you know on the chart that i've fished all the time it's like i wonder about that and i went over there and it was like literally a foot of depth change and just found a little spot where i caught like fish on five or six casts just back to back to back and thought to myself like how many times have i just not even you know it's funny your story and then you asked it before we recorded but that hit me i was like man and nothing was like, you know, Canyon can be a big fish lake. And it wasn't like all of a sudden I had 30 pounds and five casts or anything, but I had gone a long stretch of sucking horribly. And it's just funny how like those fish probably are just sitting there listening to all the sonar beeps go by and everything. And they're like, yes, like we found a spot. No one knows where we are. And 
and and it's not like it was that great of a spot but at that time it was and and other times too with rocks that i didn't know were there and then like the the lake comes down rob's smiling i'm not gonna beat the dead horse of stealing josh's chart <laughs> no, and crashing my that, book. we spent a lot of time on that but you know those lakes fluctuate so much and one time too again on canyon it was like oh my goodness like the water was quite a bit lower than it normally is you know they send water up and downstream there i was like look at that thing and then a, and the next trip or a couple trips later when it was under five feet of water it was full of fish and i never knew it was there and so there you i don't know but you noticed just, it and fished it dude that's the key like it's just uh it's so easy to get locked in and just especially like you said when you're fishing the same legs over and over again to to just be like oh i don't fish that bank yeah, i'm not right, gonna like, look at that i don't fish over <laughs> yeah, there yeah that bank sucks and like, yeah. you fished it once in 15 years and you're exactly. like oh actually and the one time i fished it was when i didn't know how to do anything other than just go down the bank and throw a jointed fire tiger rapala crankbait you know it's like didn't even know how to fish it and i wrote it off then it's like all right i just need to approach it like it's a new lake right that's cool i like it man heck yeah yeah i think it's just fish one open mind it's kind of a different part different deal but i think a lot of people get sucked into fishing the same thing on their home bodies of water oh and it's me. just probably the worst thing you can do um because you're not i mean that's why locals in a lot of situations have over the years have had hard times winning big tournaments on their body of water because it's just tunnel vision, right? Tunnel vision, preconceived notions, uh -huh. all that, you know? So, yeah, dude. I mean, it's happened to me and you, Rob, we'll, we'll be out there and uh, you take a lake that we've fished our entire lives. Rob and I will both be guiding at uh, Saguaro <laughs> and um, dude, we'll, we'll go out there and not catch them. And then there'll be a dude at the ramp who just bought his first boat, just started fishing. He's like, yeah, man, I actually had a good day. You know, I went down this, this stretch or whatever and, <laughs> and, and, and caught and actually did better than us. And we're like, dude, what the hell? But, you know, we were kind of maybe a little bit stuck in our, in what we were doing. So. Yeah. Um, Sorry guys. I had a little time out there. The, the new puppy was beating up on our older dog. So. Oh man. You, well, you came back quick. It's all good. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought that was pretty cool, man. And for him to recognize it and, and, and nail it down like that was awesome to watch. Um, yeah. I wonder you know, if it'd be interesting to see, sorry to cut you off, no, interesting what the future holds for him, right? Like that's a, like you said, that's a break that you want to catch and it maybe makes the transition out of, I don't know. Like, I wonder what the Let, future holds. It'll be exciting to watch and see what his career goes from here. Let's oh, uh, reach out to him and get him on the pod next week. Dude, great no idea. doubt. Heck yeah. That's cool. Yeah, we'll try to get him on and, and talk to him and see what he thinks, man. Talk a little bit more about it. Um, another thing, you know, you can't help but notice when you're, when you're watching these lives, whether it's the Bass Pro Tour or the Big Five, Marty Stone is uh, one of the analysts with JT Kenny. And Marty loves talking about the lunar tables. And we, we've kind of talked about it beating a dead horse. We talk about it a lot on here. We're not going to get to going to, you know, talk about it here for another 30 minutes, but uh, Marty talks about it. So well, look at the puppy. How cute, dude. Uh, he's a monster. How's he dude, doing? He's doing good. He's just a, he's a monster. I'm telling you, dude, does that thing have razor sharp teeth and eat everything? Yeah. He's a I, shark. I've had a shark. lab puppy a one time and it was like, I'm a dog person. And it was like, go away. I hate you. Like I'm bleeding <laughs> everywhere. You've ate everything that I love. Like <laughs> he's, he's, he's getting better. Hat. He's getting better already though. So. Oh yeah. Once you get through that phase, you'll have the best dog ever for eight or nine years and yep. it'll be awesome. 
That's um, cool. But yeah, Marty, dude, he, it, you know, he, he goes, he's always talking about the major feed and the minor feed. Right. And that's something that I don't, I don't personally as a fisherman pay a ton of attention to. And, and up to this point, you know, to me, there are what's happening then and now, as far as weather conditions and water conditions, always trump it. Uh, they trump what's going on with the, with, um, the moon phase and stuff like that. But st- I, I came across an interesting article by Steve Quinn and in fisherman. I sent it to you guys um, where he kind of talks about it statistically a little bit. And he, he, he speaks with some folks that have, have done studies and put, you know, literally put thousands of bass on paper and, and try to figure out what kind of differences it made. And it varied depending on whether it was a big body of water or a small pond, but statistically, dude, there was a difference, you know, and, and um, it, it, when you do get stable conditions, it's kind of interesting. You, I don't know how much it really is applicable when you're on the water and you're trying to make decisions and figure things out, but it, it makes you think a little bit about it. Um, you know, a couple of things that struck, that stood out to me, um, let's see if I'll, I can pull it back out. While I'm looking this up, did anything yeah. like what did you think about the article when you when you read through it or glazed through it? I I thought it was really interesting. My my take on like moon phases is, um, you know, obviously in the springtime, I think it affects the way the fish spawn. Um, I think a full moon in the springtime is is a good thing during the day. Oh yeah. Yeah. I that's one a, time of year where it's widely known that guys. Yeah. And I think water, a right? full moon in post spawn during the day is a bad thing. Like I feel like those fish are on a feed and when there's a full moon and to me, it's about the light more than anything. So, and then by the time you get into the summer patterns, I feel like it's important to fish at night on a full moon because of the, the light. I've seen it firsthand where it's dark, the moon comes up, and they start biting. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. Because of the light. Um, and that's one thing that they actually mentioned in the article, you know, was the light was more critical than the actual feeding times. But so one thing I never really took the time to read about and understand was, like, the major and, the major and minor feeds, they are – and correct me if I'm wrong, but in this article, it's saying the major feed is when – in the rotation of the earth, the moon is directly overhead or directly straight down. Right. And that's when there's the heaviest gravitational pull. Is mm-hmm. that, is that what you guys saw? Yes. Okay. Right on. Yeah, it's interesting how that would affect And apparently it affects not just fish, but a lot of different wildlife as well. Like there's more deer moving around and just animals biting people they said the animal bites are up yeah rob's dog is just terrorizing him right now it's, it's hilarious. hilarious yeah it must Dude. be a freaking uh, we must be on the major feed right now yeah i will lab. check the moon i was laughing because it's like you know we don't have a guest lined up and we're we're working it when we get another lunar article into the fold <laughs> but but i do love this one is statistical and as a scientifically minded person when you do chart it out, right? Like you can, you can see things coming together and how uh, there was a part that did mention, and you just touched on it, how it seems to be a little bit more impactful in ponds versus big bodies of water. But one thought I have about that is it's like, well, if you are fishing a part and maybe it's a big lake, but you're in a backwater, right. Or you're in like an area of the lake that's smaller and those fish maybe are resident populations, you know, maybe that comes back into the fold as a, a as another 
part of the recipe for success or failure. You know, it's something to, to pay attention to and, and be aware of. And, you know, I've had, I, and I can think of one time recently, even this, just this year where like, it sucked, like it just, well, and it always usually sucks for me. I'm not always on anything, but you know, doing the same thing, fishing the same way. And then during the day, have a moon pop up over the hill and catch them, you know? And it's like, well, figure that one out. Right. What happened? Sure. Send an email to Mr. Quinn and ask him to break that one down for me, but it was, but it was noticeable, right? Like going from catching squat to catching, you know, a dozen fish in the next 45 minutes. And it's like, okay, well, how do you not feel like there's a correlation to that? And you see it, you see it with score tracker guys, just, just catch them at certain times. And there'll be times where you get off the water. We get back to our house when we're on the road and we're like, damn dude, what was up with the second period today? You know, like typically Uh uh the second period's tough, but man, they just went, it went nuts. It like, you know, about two hours into the second period for the last 30 minutes, it went nuts, dude. And I'd catch a fish and drop a spot. And uh, like, and you wonder if you could look back and see, but, and yeah, you're right. It's funny that you call, that that you you call us out for uh, always talking about the moon. We don't have anything to talk about, but it was just after (laughs) listening to Marty, dude, Marty talks about it in every episode and, and it might, the same thing. It might be a way for him on a slow day to kind of get the watchers fired up. Like, Ooh, the major feeds coming up, but I can't tune out yet, you know, but uh, it's just interesting. And this article is interesting. So I'd recommend the listeners that honestly give it a read, man. And like, yeah. uh, there, there are some definite statistical eye-opening things in that article, but we, yeah, we don't, we don't need to, to keep talking about it. Um, I've always admired though, like I, there are people who do a great job of journaling and, and just cataloging their fishing results over time. And like, I have never done that. And uh, I don't know if either of you guys have done much of that, but that is like, that's a great idea because then if you really went back and looked at that, I mean, imagine how much you could crystallize those, you know, whims that you have or like, Oh, I wonder if it's like, man, like props to people who do that. And I, no doubt that makes them a better angler and and a lot better. I think the problem with that is, is a lot of people that do that do it early on in their fishing and they're just not that I'm not saying always, but they're not that as accomplished. Uh-huh. So does it really work? Right. Let's take a guy like uh, a top level tour pro and have them do it. I think it would be way more interesting. Absolutely. And the reason I say that is because when I was a kid, I did that for a while and it's like, okay, I caught one 11 inch bass here, <laughs> and one 10 inch trout here. Right. It's Same like, here, Rob. I mean, yeah, I totally kept it. Dude, I would write a page in a, in a journal every single time I'd fish when I was when I was just starting out, but yeah, right. now I would probably laugh at that stuff. But I mean, Nick, you have a point, bro. Like if you, if you did it, you know, at a point where you're actually like competent on the water. Absolutely. Well, so yeah. So let's say, I mean, here, here I go drawing conclusions to things that don't need to be drawn and it's a waste of oxygen, but in the sales world, like you track your metrics, right? So you need to know like how many, this per that equals this result. Dude, fishing's no different. And you have this in your head, right? You're like, well, Table Rock in 17 or Mississippi River in 19 and 18 this time of year. But like, I, I mean, that that could be powerful to Rob's point. Like if you were a competent angler and you had a catalog of that, like there's no doubt that you would see correlations that, you know, they just would crystallize because you would have the data versus just the, you know, the, the mind out there. They would be small nuggets that you'd pull out. It would never be anything groundbreaking. Well, it wouldn't right. be like, you're not going to look at an old 
fishing report or journal entry and know what you're going to do. Right. It's not going to tell you what to do the next time you're on that body of water because they always say you never fish the same body of water twice. But you're right, Nick. Like if you notice that uh, it, it's it's those really subtle things. Like if you really dove deep into it, you might you might learn something new about the moon. You might learn something oh, about just, weather. You might learn just who knows. Might remind man. you, right? Like it just exactly. might remind you something. Right. It's like, hey, there were seagulls on that bluff. The last time I was here in February, six years. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, your memory. I, I mean, my memory does suck. So, yeah, you're right. It could totally. Yep, go ahead, Rob. One thing with records that I saw was really cool. Years, 1993, so it's a long time ago, but went to Lake Bacharach in Mexico, and they had in the lodge a record of all the big fish and when they were caught, time of day, and all that. Very interesting because they all, you know, you would have certain months and time frames when all the big ones were caught. So, uh-huh. Uh, yeah i don't know i'm just a data enthusiast i I, sure. I nerd out on that stuff i like it. it's it's probably not any more relevant than anything else but for some reason my brain just feels like there's power in numbers like that one interesting uh deal that i'm just pulling uh, just scratching the surface on just pulling from memory but i had seen a deal uh where someone had cataloged a bunch of 10 pounders caught in uh-huh. florida and um like a huge percentage of them were caught in the afternoon which is pretty interesting, dude. Like, like hottest time like of the day, way over half. Yeah. And that's that Florida strain, dude. It makes sense. Like those dang right. Florida strain bass. That's what they live for, dude. That's what they're used to. But, uh, you know, I bet if you did like, uh, if, if you did a different part of the country, you'd get a different result. Right. Yeah. And I guess some, some of that though, like, uh, as, as you become competent and experienced on the water, probably most of that data point it just soaks into your skin, right? It just kind of becomes like an instinct because you've just yep. have done it and you just know those things. So maybe that diffuses it a little bit, but it's yeah. super random. And uh, we never put links to anything in the show notes and we probably should, but talking about huge bass that like the heat of the day, I stumbled upon a video of a guy, uh, peacock bass fishing in the Amazon and I'll send it to you guys. Super lame teaser that you haven't seen, but Man, have you, have you guys ever, Josh, have you ever caught a peacock bass in your Florida time just like yeah. with an off day just to go mess around? I did it one day last year. It was pretty fun, dude. It, it pales in comparison to the Amazon, but it was fun, dude. They're, such, they're so different from largemouth in the way they act. It was pretty fun to, to get after them. Yeah, that video that I found is, is all topwater. And of course, it's fly fishing because that's, you know, all the silly videos that I find are. But dude, the catch is like, fish way over 10 pounds and one of them is probably like pushing 20 and the eats are just like you you have nightmares about them too like they're just violent fish so random tangent and i'm done yeah that's cool we'll send it over man i will um dude well yeah the last last one i've got and i didn't send you guys this article but to end this thing with uh, a little comedy and then next week we'll try to get a guest um I had, I, I came across this deal. There's a, another phishing email blast that I get called the fishing wire. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, it's similar to some of the other ones. It, uh, sometimes it doesn't have, have, uh, quite as applicable bass stuff, but, um, since I'm going to St. Clair, the title of this one is musky bite swimmer at Lake St. Clair. Uh-huh. And it's actually got a picture. I don't know if you guys, it's probably, you can't see my uh, phone. It's too white, you? sadly. Yeah. yeah. This dude's hand is torn up, man. Matt Gervais, who was competing in triathlons for more than 20 years, was bitten by what he believes was a muskie in Lake St. Clair. Early Friday morning, Gervais was out for a three-kilometer swim with a friend. About five minutes into the swim, he felt the jaws of a large fish clamp down on his hand. 
he said, your mind goes immediately to shark, <laughs> but I had still the wits about me to know that was unlikely, uh, who described the pain as sharp and intense. Looking at the fish uh. of the water, he could see its teeth gripping three of his fingers and part of his hand. Gervais <laughs> said it was over quickly. He managed to free himself after about five seconds, but his hand was covered in blood and badly injured. Uh. Swimming on his back with his injured hand in the air, he and his friend made it to shore to a break wall of a home on Riverside Drive. They climbed the ladder to reach the backyard, to reach the backyard where a homeowner helped him clean the wound. He ended up getting 13 stitches. <laughs> but, uh, wow. Dude, I mean, I've never really heard of that before, but I can see it. Those those muskies in there are killers. I've had them take small mouth off off the line when I've got them hooked. That place has got a ton. But what do you think that fish was thinking when he ate, when he bit his well, hand? They troll for him so fast there. Have you ever seen their rigs when they're trolling from no. muskies? On? So they point the rod straight down and troll super fast. Like, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Real short lines, too. So <laughs> really? obviously that, that dude the wasn't swimming in What's that? The boat doesn't scare the fish then, you're saying. I think it attracts them. So it's muskies or something else. It was either a muskie or a Labrador puppy, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, dude. Dude, muskies, and like you're saying, what is that fish thinking? Like, clearly it could make out the fact that there is a six foot, you know, object making the disturbance. It wasn't like it was a two pound smallmouth and still just deciding, like, well, I'll just take a bite and swim on with my life. Like, that's, that's an awesome fish. I, I've never. I don't think I've ever fished anywhere that there are muskies, but it's a bucket list fish for sure. Be cool. I've landed a couple on a dang drop shot, dude, which is <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. They, they would not, that they would eat it in the first place and then that they would not cut the line, but uh, not How, giants like that. Not like a 50 incher, but like 30 something inches. I've, I've landed them <laughs> on a drop shot, dude. St. Clair's the only place I've ever caught a muskie. And it was fishing for smallmouth also. So dude, it's, the drop shot catches them, dude. Like it's funny all the stories of people catching big trout on drop shots. Like the drop shot's just a fish killer. It's just the best bay. I remember they were making fun on uh, Meat Eater Podcast. They're making fun of the drop shot, dude, <laughs> because they thought it was too easy of a style of fishing. They they prefer fly fishing. But well, uh, well, you know, the rational redneck invented drop shotting, so we have him to thank for it. So. Apparently, so yeah. <laughs> for any of the listeners that want to follow a funny account on Instagram, search the rational redneck. Your life will never be the same once you once he enters, and I have you to thank for that, Josh. But once he enters your universe, you're just you're just better for it. Like uh, he's all the reasons why humanity is going to hell in a handbasket with his remarks. But it's so funny, so good. <laughs> Right on. Well, hey, um, so yeah, like I said, we'll try to record a little later next week. We'll get a guest on. One thing that we haven't done in a while is any Q&A. So uh, feel free, guys, to send us an email at info at anglershappyhour.com. I always say send us an email, but I don't tell you where to send it. So info at anglershappyhour.com. Or hit us our up. Website. Yeah. I didn't say the website links to it. Sorry to steal your thunder there. Yep. But yeah, yep. That's fill cool. out the contact form. Fill out the contact form, send us a message on Instagram or Facebook and uh, yeah, send us your questions. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's something that we enjoy doing is talking to you guys, even, you know, if you guys have a funny story or something that you want us to, to tell on the podcast, something related to something we're talking about or something totally new, just send it in and, uh, and we'll talk about it. What, uh, do you guys have anything else before we wrap this one up? It's still, dude, we're done and it's five forty. Yeah, <laughs> there was nothing of value on this podcast. So we're very grateful for 
all seven of you that enjoyed it or maybe even just listened to the end because you fell asleep and your phone didn't shut off. But listener engage, engagement is what makes it so enjoyable. So yeah, if anyone wants to write to us, we, we love it, man. It's, that's just it's what makes it so fun. That's the best part of the podcast. Thousand percent. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks again for tuning in, guys, and uh, we will be back at you next week.